Well, if you would, please turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 67. You know, many of you may be familiar with a guy named John Piper. And if you're not familiar with him, he is a theologian, an author, and a former preacher. Uh, He used to pastor at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And uh, I have had the the privilege of actually hearing him speak in person once. And I've read several of his books. And I will say one thing that every time I hear or read John Piper, he always challenges me. And this morning, I want to share with you an extremely challenging uh, snippet or paragraph from his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. This is what he said. He said, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Now, if you are, have been in a, a Southern Baptist church or this church as we are a cooperating member of the Southern Baptist Convention, you might think this is a challenging quote because we in the Southern Baptist Convention are all about submissions. Now, we have an interesting history in our convention that we cooperate with. Not all of it is good, but one of the good things that has been there from its inception is our desire to see the gospel go throughout the entire world. In fact, at the very first meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention in 1845, what was established there was called the Foreign Mission Board, and that was the organization that Southern Baptists said that we are going to come together and support this so the gospel can go throughout the world. And that has been the truth in the Southern Baptist Convention from then until now. Now we have something a little different. We have something called the North American Mission Board, or NAM, as we like to call it. And we also have IMB, or the International Mission Board. <clears throat> so we, as, as Baptists, as Southern Baptists, are very much concerned about missions. And so when we, when we see a statement like this, it, it may challenge us. Because we can get so involved in in missions and thinking about missions that we can forget what the goal of missions is. The goal of missions is, yes, to see people won over to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But even more than that, it's to see God honored and glorified by all nations and all peoples, by every tribe, tongue, and nation. Our text today is a reflection of that or our, the quote from John Piper is really a reflection of this text. So if you would, I know we don't do this all the time, but I really like it when we do it. If you are willing and able, would you please stand as uh, I read God's word? Uh, you don't have to, but if you're willing and able, let's stand together as we read Psalm 67. 
May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the earth, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the blessing that you have given us of these pages that we have in front of us of scripture, of your words. Father, I just pray that you would be with us this morning, that you would help us to understand your word rightly, that you would help us to see what a great God you are, and that you would help us to see that you are a God who deserves to be blessed, not just among us, but among all nations. Father, I pray that you would speak through me this morning and that you would teach me as well as the rest of us in this room. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the greatest blessing that you have given, the salvation that you offer to us in Jesus Christ. And we pray that he will be glorified in us this morning. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at this text which I am really excited about, by the way. As we look at it, we are going to look and see one major theme that's going to come throughout the text, and it's repeated over and over again. And that is that God's blessings upon his people should create in us a desire, should overflow within us and result in the nations worshiping the one true God. God's blessings upon his people are to overflow and result in the nations worshiping the one true God. Now, there are three different kinds of blessings that the, the psalmist mentions that Israel would sing as they sung this song. And they are first God's covenant blessings, second would be God's ruling blessings, and then the last would be God's tangible blessings. Now, first God's covenant blessings. Look again at the first verse with me. It says, may God be gracious to us. Stop right there. We're going to park here for a minute. <clears throat> may God be gracious to us. We are talking here about God's grace. Israel, as they would sing this, they would, they would base this entire psalm on God's grace towards them. God's grace is what he offers to us that we do not deserve. None of us deserve God's grace and his blessings. And every single one of his blessings has its foundation solely in God's graciousness to his people and his created beings, human beings on earth. All of God's blessings are based in his graciousness because not a single 
one of us that has ever walked this earth with the exception of Jesus Christ himself deserves God's blessings. Not a single one of us. Each and every one of us are sinners. And we deserve nothing but God's punishment and wrath for our sin. Now, if you have grown up in church for any amount of time, or if you've just been in church for any amount of time, we hear the word sin and sinners a lot. And we need to be careful because we need to make sure that that word doesn't lose its meaning and its weight. We need to realize that sin is serious beyond even what we are able to comprehend. The Apostle Paul helps us. In Romans 3, right before he gives that famous verse that really shows all of us where we stand, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, he gives us a description of what sinners like you and like me are like. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks, pretty much the whole world at that point, are all under sin. As it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now you may hear that this morning, and you may think, that's an awful, harsh way to describe me as a sinner. And yes, it is, but it is very, very true. In fact, the, the Apostle Paul could have probably been more brutal than he was in that each and every one of us have seriously sinned against a holy and righteous God. And we need to, re we need to realize what this is. This sin isn't, it's, it's rebellion, but it's not rebellion against a, a tyrannical leader or ruler or creator. This is rebellion against a good and perfect and loving father. It is as if each and every one of us would go to God, our loving Father, and spit in his face and say, I don't need you, I don't care about you, and I would prefer, honestly, that you didn't exist. That is what our sin is before our perfect and holy God. And so, each and every one of us doesn't deserve any blessings from God. And yet God is gracious to us. God was gracious to Israel who would sing this psalm. He redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt even though they didn't deserve it. He gave them a land to be their own and he not only that but he called them his people and he called himself their God. That was a great and wonderful blessing. We have even more precious promises because even though each and every one of us is just as much a sinner as the people of Israel, we have the promise of the new covenant. They had the old covenant, the old Mosaic covenant. We have the new covenant that says that God will take out our heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh 
that he will write his law on our hearts and on our minds, and that he does that through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to pay for each and every one of our sins so that we could become a part of his covenant community, a part of his family, a blessing that we do not deserve. But not only do we get that blessing, not only did Israel get those great blessings as well, but they asked God, make his face shine upon us. This is beyond just forgiveness of sins. When we hear make his face shine upon us, we should think of, of a father's beaming and smiling face, proud of his children. Not a single one of us, not Israel, not us now deserves to have a God who smiles at us and gives us a beaming face of pride and joy. But that is what it says that we are given. Not because of our goodness, but because of God's graciousness. But God's graciousness isn't just to stay with his covenant people. The people asked for this blessing. This blessing is actually a blessing that the high priest was supposed to give uh, to the people. And the people here are singing that blessing and asking God would bless them. But they don't just ask that God would bless them so that their lives would be easier, so that they would just have uh, a better time of things. No, they ask that, that God would bless them so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. The people of Israel didn't just want God's blessing on them, but they wanted to see God's blessing upon the earth, upon all nations. You see, God in Exodus 19 told the Israelites that they were to be a kingdom of priests or a kingdom of mediators between God and mankind. Now, Israel had their own priests that were to mediate between God and the Israelite nation but God is saying that they are to be a kingdom of priests, that they are to be a priestly nation that shows the whole world and all nations who God is like, what he has done, his graciousness, and how they are to worship him. It's important that the psalmist says that your way may be known on earth. God is very specific in how he is to be worshiped. And while it may be it may feel good for, for some to say in this day and age that, that people can, they can meet God, they can have a relationship with him in many different ways. There was only one way for people to have a relationship with God during the time of Israel, and there is only one way for anyone to have a relationship with their good creator now, and that is through faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross in his resurrection, and hoping and praying for the day where he comes and returns again. There is only one way, and Israel and us today, we must ask God for these blessings, for these, this mercy and his grace to come upon us, not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of all peoples and all nations. But again, the benefit for the peoples and for us is not the end goal. The end goal is this. Let the peoples praise you, oh, oh God. Let all the peoples praise you. We 
are to be a people who worships God. Israel was to be a people who worships God. And their witness among the nations was to bring other people to worship the one true God. Our desire, Israel's desire, should be to always see the glory of God fill the whole earth. Those are God's covenant blessings and how they should lead us to desire that God be worshiped and praised throughout the whole earth. But there are also God's ruling blessings. Look at verse 4. It says, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Now, as the psalmist is writing and these people are singing this, they are looking forward. They are prophesying in a way to the future kingdom that we are promised when Jesus will come back and rule and reign on earth and and all of sin will be wiped away. Every tear will be wiped away and God, Jesus, God the Son will reign in perfect justice and righteousness and he will perfectly guide the nations on earth. So there is that in which we should look forward to that and the nation should look forward to that and rejoice But there is also a sense in which we experience that right here and now. You see, at this time, the Israelites were to be a kingdom of of priests. They were to be a nation that other nations were to come and see the glory of God, and they were to worship him. And let's let's not think that that just didn't happen in the Old Testament. We have so many stories of people seeing what God was doing with his people and, and foreigners coming to know God as the one true God. We can think of Rahab, the prostitute who was a native of Jericho and yet became a part of the covenant community of Israel. We can think of Ruth, a Moabitess, who left her pagan ways and became a member of the covenant community of Israel. We can think of even Naaman, who was a Syrian commander who probably committed horrible atrocities against the nation of Israel, and yet through the work of Elijah the prophet, he came to know God as the one true God. We can even think of King Nebuchadnezzar, the one who laid waste to Jerusalem and again committed atrocities. And yet God humbled him, and in the book of Daniel we see a letter written from King Nebuchadnezzar that where he proclaims God is the one true God. This is something that did occur in Israel in the Old Covenant, but how much more so does it occur now where Jesus has commanded us not to let people come to us, but he has commanded us to go to the nations. And he has commanded us to go to the nations and go to them no matter who they are, no matter where they are, no matter what nationality they're from, no matter what pagan religion they may be following. He has commanded us to go and to share the gospel message that is for all to hear, the free message of salvation that God has punished his son instead of humanity is to not be not given to anyone. We are to go out. We shouldn't discriminate as to who we tell that message to, We shouldn't be prejudiced in any way, but we should go because every single person who we come into contact with here and in the nations is a created being who is created in the image of God and needs to hear this message of salvation. 
And we as his people may not hold that back from anyone. Everyone must hear of the glory of God and the gospel message of salvation in Jesus Christ. And that is a reason for the nations that are in darkness to sing and rejoice and clap and be wonderfully praising and honoring our great God and Father. What is the result again of that great blessing? Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And then we must think also of God's tangible blessings. Verse 6 says, The earth has yielded its increase. Now, some of your translations may say something there about the harvest. And it, it can be a little tempting for us as, as New Testament believers to think of the metaphors that Jesus uses of the harvest and how the people, the nations of the world are to be considered the harvest and we are to go out. That is a, a good thing for us to think of. That's not quite what I think the psalmist is talking about here. We have to remember the nation of Israel at this point, they are a farming society. They are a society that lives and dies depending on a good harvest. And so right here, when they say the earth has yielded its increase, they mean exactly that. They had a good harvest that year. God had provided for them, not just as a, a covenant people, not just as a people who could look forward to a, a time where God would perfectly reign and rule through his Messiah, but they had a God who they could trust to bless them with their daily needs here and now. The earth has yielded its increase. They were thankful to God for providing for their food. Now we today, we don't quite have to depend on good harvests for our daily living. Uh, it's nice when they do. And I, I assume maybe with some of the things going on in the world, maybe we should be a little bit concerned if harvests are bad or not good. But at the end of the day, we, if our food, we've got lots of canned food in this nation, and I'm sure we could be survived for a few years without it. But each and every one of us is dependent on God for our daily needs and for our blessings that we can hold in our hands And so we need to, we need to think as, as Israel sees what God has provided for them, they praise God and they have a desire that all the ends of the earth would fear him because all the ends of the earth would see Israel and see what, how God provided for them as, as a nation and they would acknowledge him as God and fear him as the one true God. The question for us is, you know, not, not all of us may have been given the same amount of blessings, tangible blessings from God, but each and every one of us has been given blessings. We may not have two pennies to rub together, but we have skills and gifts and abilities that God has given to us as his people. My question to us is, what are we doing with those blessings? Are we using those blessings just to Make sure that our lives are a little bit easier? Or do we see those blessings as an opportunity for not just the nations, the lost around us, 
Are we seeing those things as an opportunity for us to bring the good news of salvation so that our, those around us may see and worship God through his son, Jesus Christ? What are we doing with our blessings? And specifically, as it pertains to this text, what are we doing with our blessings? What, what about our wallets or our gifts is showing that we have a desire to see the nations worship the one true God? Now, that doesn't just apply to individuals. That applies to us as a church as well. When we talk about the budget, when we talk about our gifts and skills and resources as a church, are we, are we doing things, are we using those gifts and those tangible resources in ways that say we want to see the nations worship God and know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord? Now, I believe that every single believer has been given the same great commission from Matthew 28, 19, and 20, that we are all in some way to be involved in international missions. I believe 100% that every single one of us should have a desire because of all the blessings that God has given us. We should have a desire to see people from every nation, tribe, and tongue worship God and know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And there are two ways that we can be a part of international missions. And again, I think this applies to each and every one of us. Now, you may be thinking, is he ever going to get to why he titled this, ser this sermon a dangerous sermon to preach? Well, this is the reason why. Because the two ways that we can be involved in missions, number one is sending. Now, sending takes a lot. It involves us giving up our time to pray and equip and disciple those around us who may be going. It requires our resources as individuals and a church to pour into those who may be going, whether it's, our again, our prayers, our ability to disciple them, to train them, or to give them the resources that they need to go. It's a dangerous sermon to preach because... I just talked to us about how we may need to be treating our wallets and our time. But here's why it's an even more dangerous sermon to preach. Because some of us are called to go. Some of us are called to go. And that is dangerous for us as a church because that may mean that we may need to say goodbye to some of you. Now, I will say as your pastors... There are a lot of ways to lose members to a church. That's one that we're okay with. That's one, it may hurt. There may be tears, but there are going to be tears of joy and tears of excitement. And so in just a little bit, I, as we are about to sing and respond, I would ask you, I would ask you, how are you involved in sending but more so, how are you involved in going? Are there some of you that may be called right now to go to the nations? The need is great. If you were to go to the International Mission Board website right now, you would see 
that there are over 3,000 unreached, unengaged people groups in the world. Now, unreached means that there are less than 2% of that people group's population are believers in Jesus Christ. Unengaged means that there is no active uh, plan or implementation of any sort of church plant. Over 3,000 unique people groups, unreached and unengaged in our world right now. That's nearly 300 million people, nearly the, the entire population of our nation, unreached, unengaged. If God is calling you to go, then go. Go, go to the nations. Go to see them one to the gospel message of Jesus Christ, but go even more so so that God would be worshiped and praised by every tribe and tongue and nation. Now I'm going to pray and we are going to sing, but as we do that, I, I pray that you would ask God as you pray, how do I need to be involved? Do I need to send or do I need to go? Let's pray together.